Well, good morning, church family. Happy New Year. Uh, this is the first time we're back in here after the new year, and it, it, feels, it feels good to be back, doesn't it? It feels good to be back in, the, in our normal space and ready to rock and roll. We're, uh, this week, we're going to be continuing in our series that Pastor Doug started last week called I Am, and in it, we're looking at the different I am statements throughout the gospel of John and what Jesus claims himself to be. And this morning we are looking at Jesus's claim of I am the resurrection and the life. Um, as, as we look at today, I'm just going to kind of throw a forewarning out there to you. It's, it, this is kind of a, a heavy subject. Anytime you approach death, there's a certain weight to it, so just don't be surprised by that when this starts being deep and, and emotional in and, and some ways, just because death affects all of us. It hits all of us. I was watching a couple of shows this week from the 90s. One was Home Improvement, and the other one was Everybody Loves Raymond. So you can kind of tell the quality of TV that I'm watching, right? And, and so I, I'm watching those two shows, and oddly enough, in different seasons at different times, but on the same exact same day, it was really weird, uh, both of the show plots have this idea where the wife is trying to get the husband, uh, Tim the Toolman Taylor and Ray Barone, to sign their wills. And oddly enough, in both instances, the man just totally freaks out and, and refuses for the majority of that episode to sign the will. And in both of those cases, I mean, it really is weird. This was like seven, eight, nine, ten years apart. But, and I'm watching that on the same day, on the, the week that I'm preparing a sermon on death and resurrection. And so this is like God's providence type of thing. It's like he knew I needed an intro. And so it's this idea that, that they didn't want to face it. They didn't want to face death. And in all honesty, we, we live in a culture and in a society that, that doesn't want to deal with death. We will do anything in our power, in fact, not to deal with it, right? We're like ostriches that just will plant our head in the ground or we'll walk away. We'll find a way to avoid this topic at all cost. And so because of that, we never have a real understanding of how Jesus brings us hope in the midst of grief and in the midst of death. And as a church family that walks with through all things with one another, we need to know how Jesus wants to comfort us in those moments and how to comfort one Another, Because, in fact, Paul says something really curious in 1 Thessalonians. He says something in, in chapter 4, verse 13, that I don't want you to be unaware, brothers, so that, that you don't grieve as others do that are without hope. Now, that, that's a really curious thing, right? He doesn't say that you as, and we as Christians aren't going to grieve that those that are asleep and who have passed away before us. But he does say that, that we as Christians have something accessible to us that allows us to comfort and allows us a bit of comfort and to grieve with a certain measure of hope. And today as we look at Jesus's claim, I'm the resurrection and the life, it comes within the context and the story 
of the death of Lazarus and the, all the situation that, that kind of happens with it. And I'm just going to say, death is awful, isn't it? It's awful. And it, it's one of the things that, that touches all of us in, in different ways. But we're faced with the idea that, that death is very much a real thing that we have to deal with. In fact, it was something that my family and I had to face over the holidays. My, my uncle, who was like a second father to me, passed away two days before his birthday, which was Christmas Eve. And so over the holidays, and then especially a week and a half ago when we had his funeral and uh, preached part of his service, this idea of, of grief and loss kind of overwhelmed the holidays, and it can for many of us. But in given enough time, um, it affects your family too. And it causes a lot of people to walk away from God because we don't know how to process it. We don't know how to deal with it. And I don't want us to, to be that way because I think Jesus has a lot to say to us today, how to prepare us, how to comfort us, and to give us hope. So let's read initially. We're going to read John chapter 11, beginning in verse 1. When you get there, say word. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sister sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Today we come face to face with a text when God doesn't act like we think he's supposed to act right? We come face to face with Jesus doing something that doesn't, that totally seems out of character. This doesn't make any sense. Jesus, you, you love these people. It says multiple times that, that he dearly loved these people. And not only that, these were people that dearly loved Jesus. Mary was the one that, that chose the good portion, the gospel says, that, that anointed Jesus. But yet we see Jesus just saying, oh. two days after he hears this, he's like, I'm staying where I am. That doesn't make any sense to us. Have you ever had that happen in your life when God just doesn't act like you think he should act? And, and it just throws everything off? I'm sure they thought this very thing, if we just tell Jesus that Lazarus is sick, He'll for sure come because he loves us and we love him. This transactional thing. And, and he's surely going to come at, at a moment's notice and, and heal him. After all, he, he loves us, right? And, and he love, they love Jesus. But Jesus stays where he is and doesn't go visit them. And as we'll find out, Lazarus dies. And so I want our time together to be based around this one point and then three questions that I think 
every single person in here asks at some point or another. And the initial point is this. This is the main truth that I want you guys to get. And this is the whole summary of the entire I Am series because I think it's the main reason that Jesus claims that he is the I Am, that he is God. And that is this, that Jesus is our hope in life and death, both now and eternally. Jesus is our hope in life and in death, both now and and eternally. And the first way that, that I want to, to kind of tease that out through the I am the resurrection passage, which happens a little bit later in the story, is through the first question is, Lord, are you absent? Lord, are you absent? God, where are you in the midst of this? Jesus, you, you clearly knew. We made sure. We did the thing, right? We, we, we communicated this to you because we thought you cared. Where are you? God, where are you in the midst of all of our difficulty? And let's see how, how Jesus responds in all of this. Look with me at verse 7. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and you're going there again? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sake I'm going, and I'm glad that I was not there. For your sake, I'm glad that I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. That's it. Thomas was a real positive, realist guy. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise and quickly go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, 
if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Lord, if you had been here. God, where are you? It's the cry of the morning soul, isn't it? God, I, I don't see you in the midst of all of this. If you had just been here, this, this, would have not, this wouldn't have happened. I've certainly said this thing. I've said this very same thing to God. God, if, if you were working, if you were here, then this wouldn't have happened. This sickness, this death, this illness, this, this, this would be taken care of like this. I believe this. Clearly, this, this thing that I'm dealing with, this circumstances I'm dealing with, this death, this loss, this mourning that I'm dealing with, that clearly means you've forgotten me, right? That's the cry of our heart. You've walked away from me. Maybe I've made you mad, God. If you were here, you would have, you would have protected me from this. What do we do in our hearts when God doesn't act the way that we think he should act? Here's what I want I think Jesus wants us to know about he and his character and ultimately God's character in this. First thing is this, that, that we see that Jesus has a good plan in our suffering. Jesus even, even, even has a good plan in our suffering. Now, this is not something that you say to people in the midst of their loss. You grieve with them, and we're going to talk about that in just a moment. But Preparing yourself to go into these times of trials, it's important to know that Jesus doesn't automatically just start losing control. Right? There's, not a, there's not a moment, there's not an inkling, there's not a situation in our lives, in your family's life, in your circumstances that he's not aware of and not un, doesn't have under control. They wanted Jesus to know this, but what we find is that Jesus already knew this situation, right? He knew the extent and the purpose for this. This is why when we look at verse 4 again, he's not surprised by this, right? He said, this illness does not lead to death. They just approached him and said, this is what's happening. We want you to know, God, you know, we're, I'm praying about it. You told me to pray. And so I'm telling you about it. He says, but this illness does not lead to death. Is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Again, in verses 14 and 15, we see his, his control over all of this. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. He tells them he's asleep, and, and, and we're going to talk about that in, in just a moment. He does that intentionally, in my opinion. I mean, and he says, for your sake, I'm glad I wasn't there. Why? So that you may believe. But let us go to him. And then again in verse 23, he says something similar. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Jesus has a, a good plan in the midst of our suffering. And again, that is not something that we want to hear in the midst of it. But maybe it is a comfort. It is something, it's a seed that needs to be sown in your heart that the greatness of God and the goodness of God are not juxtaposed. They're not at odds with one another. God is not great and distant. God is not close but weak. God is both all-powerful, all-knowing, but he is also all-good. 
and he has a plan in our suffering. In verse 7, we see that, that Jesus decided it was time to go after the couple of days that had been spent. And obviously, they get there a couple of days later. So four days he had been in the tomb. But the disciples clearly didn't like this idea of them going because Jesus had made some enemies with some previous statements. And we'll get to those statements as we unpack the rest of the weeks. But last week we saw they were ready to kill him right then and there when he said, before Abraham was, I am. Because that means Jesus was saying, I am God. I am Yahweh. I am, I am he. They knew they were going to be hunted, but Jesus is not afraid of our suffering. Jesus has a good plan for it. And that's what we see in verses 7 and 15, is that not only does he have a good plan for it, is God's not just big brain. Right, you know people that, that really are brilliant but have no ability to connect with people emotionally. You may be that way, and that's okay. God has a great design and plan for you. But it's really hard to connect with, with some of those people emotionally. God's not that way. God connects and, and comes near to us in this. And that's what Jesus wants you to know. Jesus doesn't stay distant from us in our difficulty and our suffering. Jesus comes near to us in our suffering. Look with me again at, at verse 7. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. Now is the time. And the disciples said to him, Rabbi, the, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. This is not a good idea. And he says something along the lines of, am I not the one that is in charge of all this? And then in verse 15, for your sake, I'm glad I was not there, that you may believe, but let us go to him. Jesus doesn't see our messiness. He doesn't see our grief. He doesn't see our mourning. He doesn't see our ugly emotions. I mean, how many of you are like really ugly criers? Like it's, it's just a, a thing that's like you don't want to be seen in public. The mascara is just running. Even if you're a man, there's mascara just running. And it, like it just happens, Right. A lot of people are super ugly criers. I'm an ugly crier. I start doing, like, my, it's weird. My face just starts automatically frowning, and, and you, you'll kind of see my, my lip quiver and that kind of thing. It's like a weird, a weird reaction, but it, it happens. Jesus isn't scared away by our big emotions. He's not, he's not scared away by our humanity. He doesn't avoid the hard situations. He doesn't stick his head in the sand. He doesn't turn away from us. Jesus is not far away in our difficulties. He is near to us, and he comes near to us, beloved. So those are two important factors. Jesus is not absent. Just because God doesn't protect us from something doesn't mean that God doesn't love us in that and have a good plan for it. God's love and God's greatness are not mutually exclusive. So Lord, are you absent? We've prayed that prayer. It's okay to say that. He doesn't rebuke Mary and Martha for saying that, does he? He doesn't. He meets them with grace and kindness and love. You want to know why? Because he's, they're saying it to him. Lord, are you absent? The answer is no, even when it feels it. The second question is, Lord, do you care? 
you may be here, but do you really care? If you really love me, would you allow for something like this to happen? Look with me at verse 33. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could he, <laughs> could not he who opened the eyes of the blind also kept this man from dying? Does, does he not care about this, really? Then Jesus deeply moved again, came to the tomb, and it was a cave, and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe you sent me. Lord, do you really care? Okay, you may not be absent, but by permitting this, do you really care about me? Does the God of the universe care about you? In the good times, it's really easy to see. Like, yeah, I'm rolling. Jesus changed my life. He set me on a new course. I'm freed from this, and and I'm, I'm moving in the right direction. But what about when the next storm comes? Lord, do you care? So if God does care for us and love us, why does he allow these things to happen? And the simple answer that the Bible gives us is we don't know. (laughs) We don't know. The people in Job's story, the friends that tried to prescribe a reason for the reason for Job's suffering, they turned to look like idiots. We don't know. We don't know why God allows it, and no, neither does anyone. Anybody that, that says they do, they're lying to you. They're, they're trying to sell you something. We simply don't know why God allows these things to happen. But in that tension where we don't know lies the heart of faith. What will we choose to believe about God? What will we choose to believe about this life in general? It's where the rubber meets the road. What will we do in that area when we certainly feel like he doesn't care? Billy Graham, when he was speaking to grieving families after the 1995 Oklahoma City bombing, there were 168 people that that died in that bombing. And he went to the grieving families and was ministering to them. And this is what he said to them. Times like these will either make us hard and bitter and angry at God or they will make us tender and open and help us reach out and trust in faith. I pray that you will not let the bitterness and poison creep in to your souls, but you will turn in faith and trust in God even when we cannot understand. It is better to face something like this with God than without him. So where do we turn? 
in the midst of this. Everyone will turn somewhere. I was telling my cousin this. Everyone is going to, in the midst of grief, everyone is turning and looking and trying to make sense of what they have just lost, right? Some people turn to, uh, turn to alcohol. Some people turn to, to any number of things to help the world either make sense or to just get rid of this idea and not have to deal with it anymore. And we either choose to deal with it in the means that, that we choose or our body chooses it in another way. And so Billy Graham says, we need to be in charge of the way that, that we grieve. So where do we turn with all of these deep emotions and questions? I believe we do it in the way that Jesus is honored by and that we take those things to him and we openly and honestly talk with God about it. And we lay it at his feet and we say, I don't know why my son died. I don't know why I just lost my job. I don't know why my career has fallen apart. I don't know why this has just happened. I, I don't. And I'm going to trust and believe in something in this and, and in the midst of this, I, I'm going to choose to lay my trust by coming to you and maybe rage against you than to walk away from you. God's comfortable and gives us a platform for anger against him. But there's nothing but bitterness and hardness when we choose to turn away from him. So what does Jesus tell us and show us? The first thing that we seek when we turn to Jesus, how will he respond? It says that he goes with us in our suffering. Lord, do you care? He first shows us he cares by going with us. Verse 34, it says that, and he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And he went Jesus goes with us in our process, in our grief, in our difficulty. He goes with us. If you come to him and say, Lord, come and see the mess that I am in, you know what he's going to do? He's going to go. He's going to walk with you. And he walks to the tomb. He doesn't rebuke their questions. He doesn't rebuke their request. Instead, he walks with them. The second thing that we see, Jesus responds to us by weeping with us. Jesus weeps with us in our suffering. In verse 33, in verse 35, and in verse 38, it talks about twice that he was deeply moved. And the other time is just very plainly, Jesus wept. Jesus is filled with great emotion for a variety of reasons. The God of the universe wept with Mary and Martha and the friends that they were around. I I read this this week, and I I thought this was incredible. said he's crying, meaning Jesus, because knowing the end of the story doesn't mean you can't cry at the sad part.
Because knowing the end of the story, knowing that there will be a resurrection, and this is something that Mary and Martha hoped in, they knew their brother would be raised again on the last day. They didn't know it was going to be that day, but that's kind of cool. But he would die again, right? We can trust Jesus with our most intimate, difficult, deepest hurts and pains and grief because Jesus is described as the man of sorrows. He is intimate with our difficulties. He knows it. He's been through it. So we can trust him who perfectly walked in it. And finally, Jesus grows us in our suffering. What does Jesus want us to know? He he uses it and he grows us in it. Why does Jesus say that, that he fell asleep? Jesus was teaching the disciples something very important about death and that it is not final and that it is no match for him. That it is no match for him. Death was powerless over Jesus even then, and it would be powerless over Jesus when he himself died, as we most likely will die. This is why our hope can be in Jesus. This is why we can mourn not as the world mourns without hope that death is final, but we know the God that looks at death and says, not an issue. He will not lose your life just as he has not lost his life. And so the final question we come to is is this, Lord, will you make it right? Lord, do you you care? Lord, will will you make all of this right? Even if it doesn't make sense, Can I know and walk with some measure of hope that this is going to all be made right at some point? He tells us this in verses 43 and 44. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Lord, will you make it right? Jesus, in this instance, raises Lazarus from the dead. He was a dead, stinky, cloth-bound, just nasty been in there with all them juices and everything just marinating, stewing for four days in a hot, temperate climate. That's nasty. But Jesus calls him to himself, right? Even in death, Jesus has a greater plan. All the crowds had time to gather and see what Jesus could do. And in doing so, he shows us that even in death, we have a final hope, beloved. This is why in John 5, 24, he says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment but has passed then and there from death into life. We can experience eternal life even now. In Mary's mind, the resurrection was only something that happened in the future. But what Jesus is teaching us is that you and I can begin to experience the new life that he has for us even now.
That's why he says, I am the resurrection, not I will be the resurrection in the life. We don't have to wait into eternity to begin to experience some of the fullness of what Jesus has for us, but we do have to go to him and rely on him and trust him and know him. Jesus restores all things and will restore all things through his suffering. It is by his wounds we are healed. Warren Wiersbe, as we close, points out this, that we find three people being raised from the dead by Jesus in the Gospels. One was a young girl that had been dead for only a matter of minutes or hours. Another man had just died the previous day, so right out of day or something like that. And here was Lazarus, four days old, smelled worse than a skunk. You can only imagine how bad that was. But Warren Wiersbe says this, Some dead people show no indication of decay yet, but some have all the odor and binding. But he says we are all dead. This has a very physical faction to it and about hope. But this portion also shows that Lazarus was going to die again. What Jesus was pointing to was something much greater and spiritual in nature. And that Jesus is the one that can allow us and bring us from death into eternal life, where death is merely a transition into the next phase of our eternity. And in that, beloved, we can hope And we can live in that resurrection power now. The last prayer of the Bible in Revelation 22 is this. Amen means so let it be. Come, Lord Jesus. Will Jesus make it right? Yes. And we can pray with the scriptures. Jesus, just let it be. Come, Lord Jesus. I'm tired of all the pain and the suffering and the grief. Beloved, know that Jesus still is the resurrection and the life. So I ask this question, if you're in here and you are not a believer, I'm gonna ask the same question that he asks Martha in verse 26. He asks her this after she comes to him, do you believe this? Because eternal life is not something you have to work for. It's not something that you can be, it's not something you can earn. It's not something that we deserve but it is something that is freely given in our trust of who Jesus is as the resurrection and the life. And finally, if you're not going through a difficult stage, maybe God's preparing you for one, write these down, let it soak into your heart. But also Romans 12, 15 reminds us that our responsibility, just as Jesus is, just as Jesus did, is to weep with those who weep. Maybe in the season of your life right now, God's, God's you know, moving you in a really great direction. The pain and suffering and some of that type of stuff is not really present in your life. Then, then your initiative in this season of life is to weep with those who weep. Love those who are mourning and be preparing yourself for when God chooses to allow something else in your life. I don't know how God's moving in your heart and life right now, but let's just go to him be honest with him about where you're at. We've seen vulnerability and honesty and Jesus loves it and responds well to it. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that you don't avoid the hard things. That instead you speak to them with 
a great authority and hope. And so God, I, I pray that those that are in here that, that are believers and that truly fear death, God, that, that you would release them from that fear. That you would help them know it is merely a transition into our next part of eternity. And that we have access to the eternal life now that you have given us because you are the resurrection of life. This is something that we experience now as we know you. We are a new creation. God, for the person that is burdened by sin and all the trappings of their old life, Lord, just as Lazarus came out of the tomb stinky and all that stuff and had a lot to, had to go take a bath and all kinds of things. Jesus, I pray for the person that, is, that feels bound by the weight and sin of their old life right now, God, that, that, that they would be honest about where that is and that you would give them freedom. Pray for the person in here, God, that is grieving, that feels without hope. Lord Jesus, would you comfort them? Would we weep with them? Bring people alongside of them that will weep and love them in the midst of this. And may they know that they know that they know that they're not alone and that you love them. I thank you that, that you love us and that you allow us to come to you with our big, raw, unfiltered emotions and that you're okay with that. May we learn to serve you in a way that is very real and, and is not just something that's just for Sundays, but in the every days of our life. In Jesus' name I pray.